Maybe it is because there was still rationing in Britain when I was born. Uh, Maybe it's because my strict Baptist father drilled into me the virtue of being frugal. Maybe it is because my mother was Scots and so careful with money, shall we say. But whatever the reason, I am, well, cheap. I wish I could put it in a more charitable way, but it's true. Last week, I even shocked myself. A couple of people complimented me on my new shoes. Uh, Here they are. Uh, They're mostly um, blue suede, so in the words of Elvis, don't tread on them. Uh, But they also have some rather dapper brown leather uh, at the back there. Now, when a normal person receives a compliment about their shoes, they modestly say, thank you very much, and turn it around by saying how nice the other person's hair looks. But not cheap old me. Instead of graciously saying thank you, on both occasions, I found myself blurting out how much they cost. Yes, they are really nice, and they only cost $28 from Cole's clearance section. And I picked up a pair of sketches for 20 uh, This sermon is brought to you by Coles, by the way. Then I stepped out of myself and, and realized that I do this a lot. If I have nabbed a bargain, I will brag about it endlessly. It must make me look, well, cheap. Cheap and unclassy. It's a pity because I'm a Christian and so I worship a God who is lavish and generous and who makes beautiful, extravagant things just for the sheer joy of it. God is so lavish that sometimes he even hides these glories at the bottom of the sea or in a forest where human beings will rarely see them. Because I'm a Christian, I should really revel in God's abundance, not being wasteful or materialistic, but simply enjoying the goodness of God's creation, especially the free bits. No one knows who wrote Psalm 1, but whoever they were, they were more in tune with God's abundance than I am. I can picture the poet sitting on a riverbank, his feet in the water, a cooling foot spa on a hot and dusty day, and across from where he is sitting on the other bank is a tree, a majestic giant in full leaf, with fruit large and ripe and dangling tantalizingly. Can you feel the merciful shade of the leaves sheltering him from the Mediterranean sun? Can you taste the fruit, soft, juicy, sweet, delicious beyond the imagination of the greatest confectionery chef? The righteous person, the lover of God, the follower of Christ, says the poet, is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season with leaves that do not wither. They bear fruit at the right time, but their leaves do not wither. 
curious. When I read that, I thought, this is a miracle tree. Uh, Trees that bear fruit are deciduous, aren't they? Every tree I could think of sheds its uh, leaves, uh, every fruit tree. So this image, I thought, is describing a freak of nature. It doesn't exist. It enjoys a mysterious and miraculous life. But actually, I was wrong. There are some evergreen fruit trees. The avocado, the mango, the lychee, to name nearly all of them. And the poet had never seen any of these. But there's a fourth that is much more familiar to him. The olive tree. It produces edible fruit. It is an evergreen and it is all over the poet's native land. The olive tree is all over the Bible too. It's a powerful symbol. It turns up when Noah's flood is subsiding in the beak of a dove. The olive then is a symbol of peace, of hope, of a new start. Israel's kings were anointed with the oil of olives at their coronations. So this tree and its fruit symbolizes the calling of God's people. In the New Testament, in the letter of James, the writer says, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil uh, in the name of the Lord. The olive, then, is a channel of God's healing. Happy are the followers of Christ because they are like trees planted by streams of water whose leaves do not wither and whose harvest never fails. We are planted and cultivated to be messengers of hope, to be people of new starts, heralds of peace, bringers of healing. We are the olive trees in this hurting and fractured world, bringing reconciliation to the alienated, hope to the despairing, new starts to those who feel shame, futures for those who are surveying the burnt-out remains of their dreams or relationships, justice for the victims, wholeness for the marginalised. Here, in this picture of an olive, there is our calling, our joyful duty, our high privilege as co-workers with God to bring healing to the brokenhearted, release to those held captive by destructive habits, self-defeating thinking and behaviours that cause them and other people needless pain, and the dehumanizing structures we live with that exclude or exploit or manipulate. What a privilege to be called by God to be ambassadors. And not just ambassadors, wonderful and awesome though that is, but co-workers with God. Here, in this picture of an olive tree, There is a purpose for being alive. Our joyful duty, our high privilege as co-workers with God. If you are breathing this morning, this is why. To be a healing, 
peacemaking, teller of good news to those in your world. The word of the Lord to us this morning is this, be the tree. This week, as well as bragging about my shoes, I've had a series of meetings about the future of St. Paul's, and it's been exciting. I've met with the Spiritual Life Committee to dream about what our worship life is going to look like when we reopen without restrictions, how we can provide inspiring opportunities for our established in-person congregations and also our digital parish, and how we can engage our children and young people more and more into our life. I met with the staff to talk about the same thing, the finance committee and the stewardship leaders to plan for how we will support the amazing vision that our lay leaders are hatching. This coming week, the welcome committee will meet to begin planning a wonderful strategy for including and assimilating the visitors we will receive when we are fully open again, as well as people who have entered through our digital door. The evangelism committee also is turning its mind to how we reach out to our neighbourhood to reintroduce ourselves to long-term residents and to greet for the first time the many residents who have moved into our neighbourhoods since the pandemic started. I can't tell you how excited I am at all the plans and ideas we've been having and as we move through the spring and summer, I'll regularly do that in writing as well as in person and in video. But even now, we can each get ready, get excited, dream. Ask yourself and ask God how you can be involved in creating a new season of joyful growth and compassionate service. Make no mistake, there is a role for you in the hours you give, the prayers you offer, the energy you donate, the love you pour out, the money you sow. Because a tree does not exist for itself. The tree does not consume the fruit it grows, neither does it enjoy the shade from its own branches. Trees exist for the sake of others. The people and birds, insects and mammals that eat its fruit, shelter in its leaves and nest in its crevices. Our fruit is for giving away. Apparently there's a species of tree in Australia called the river red gum of the eucalyptus family. It is huge, growing up to 160 feet in height. Its massive canopies provide shelter from the intense heat of inland Australia for vast numbers of animals and birds. The local people call this sheltering wildlife the fruit of the tree. Wouldn't that be a wonderful and exciting vision of a church? Our fruit is the people we shelter, protect and serve. 
People who will know us by the good we do, the folks we help. But this God of mysteries and delights has one more miracle for us. When a tree yields its fruit, it gives it to creation, and creation returns it. An apple falls to the ground. An opportunistic deer eats it. It wanders to a new grazing land, does what comes naturally, and the apple seed is planted in a new incubator where it takes root. And in the silence and the dark, it begins a new life. It's a law of nature. As we give, so we receive. The tree receives the thrill of giving and then, in a roundabout way, receiving through its legacy. This is the law not just of fruit trees, but for all life, including humans. In sowing, we reap. In giving, we receive. In, in giving, we plant a legacy that will bring in God's kingdom long after we are gone. So when you allow those you live with and among to taste your fruit, your peace, your gentleness, your faithfulness, you will enjoy beautiful returns. It's why the people who walk with integrity in verse 1 of Psalm 1 are happy. Isn't that a great word to start a psalm with? Happy. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked. Happiness is a byproduct of seeking higher things. God, love, relationships, peace, justice. We Christian trees don't grow fruit for our own sakes. We don't follow Christ for what we can get out of it, but we do, by happy consequence, receive all manner of good things from God as a byproduct of our love. Everything they do shall prosper, the reading ends. Now there is an amazing promise as we eye the full return of de-restricted church life. Everything they do shall prosper. So how do we be this tree whose leaves never fall, whose fruits never fail, and which prospers in all it does? Well, the answer is there in the second verse of the psalm. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and they meditate on his law day and night. We soak up the classic spiritual disciplines of prayer, scripture reading, meditation, worship. This is how we stay rooted by the river. We need that daily reservoir. We're in a pregnant time of waiting in the church calendar, the ten days between the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we're in a pregnant time locally too, as we wait with vision and hope and prayer for our full reopening. Let us remain rooted by the river, drinking deep of God's Spirit. Then we can brag about a bargain, because drinking in the Holy Spirit is totally free. Amen.